0: Hey, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 37? Genesis chapter 37. I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. Uh, parts of what we're about to read is going to be on the screen. Uh, but as I try to put the entire chapter of Genesis 37, it will, the, the, literally the PowerPoint just messed with me. It was like, nope, you can't make any more slides, too many slides. So I, I, seriously, I struggled. And it, for whatever reason, the formatting messed up. And I said, well... People can just grab Bibles and we'll read it all together. But we are going to read Genesis 37 in its entirety. Uh, I'm beginning a series that we're going to kind of work through this summer where we just look at the life of Joseph, where we look at him as a character and see what we might be able to learn from these passages of Scripture, from these stories, and specifically uh, from the life of Joseph himself. And so Genesis chapter 37 uh, give you a chance to continue to turn there. If you do not have a Bible, there are a number of Bibles in the seat back in front of you. One of the black hardback Bibles is the version I'm reading from. And if you don't have a Bible, consider that a gift to you. Feel free to take that home. But in that Bible, I think we're on page about 31. Is where Genesis 37 begins. Uh, kids in the room, welcome. We're glad you're here. We encourage you to follow along, and. Here's, follow along in the reading, but then after the reading, as you listen and take great notes, because I'm sure you will, I also want to see, we're going to talk about Joseph, and if you, you're going to hear that Joseph has uh, what is to believe, the text says, a multicolored coat, and I, some of you are given crayons, and I want to see the best multicolored coat at the end of the service, so challenge to you kids in the room, or adults who just like coloring, As well. You're welcome to be a part of this. Genesis chapter 37. If you're there, simply say amen. Amen. Verse 1 Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpha, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. He's the tattletale brother. Verse 3 Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel is Jacob. Understand Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So I'm narrating some things that we missed already in Genesis. But Israel, Jacob, the father, loved Joseph more than other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. This is not the right posture. But as the youngest in my family, I let my brothers and sisters know that the Bible says that our parents love the youngest the most. They did not like it. And I'm willing to bet that Joseph's brothers didn't like it any more than my brothers. So I'm saying that funny, but also to kind of set the, the relational tension that we see in the text as he was flaunting some of that arrogance of favoritism. Verse Uh, uh, So the end of verse 3, because he was loved, he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Again, narrating parents. Although I made jokes to my family or my brothers about being the most loved, um, let's not have a most loved. It doesn't work out well. We should love and care for our children all the same. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words, again, see the tension that is building. Verse nine. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, "Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me." But when he told it to his father uh, and said to him, or he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, "What is this dream that you have dreamed?" Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this saying in mind. So we have the setting. The setting are 12 brothers, Joseph being the most loved brother. Joseph is getting dreams, but we understand this great tension between he and his brothers. So what happens? You got a situation like this? And if we we're reading Genesis from the beginning, it should remind us, of Cain and Abel, other brothers, that had tension and what happened. And very, something very similar, sin and brokenness comes in. Verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here, here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent, them from the, sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he, he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked, what are you seeking? And he says, I'm seeking my brothers. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing in the flock. And the man said, they, gave, they have gone away, and I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now, Joseph comes to his brothers, and they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands by saying, let us not take this life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him. That he might rescue him out of her hand and restore him to the father, to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of the robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty; there was no water in it. When they saw, when they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they they brought Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw Joseph... Was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brother, saying, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped it in the robe in blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, or death, to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Hey, I know that's a long passage of Scripture, but I want us to, as we... Really study this. We're going we're gonna to read long passages of scripture because I want us to get the whole story. Every year in the one you're reading, I, we begin in Genesis, or I begin in Genesis. And when I come to this story, I just love this story. And so this year I said, you know what? I'm going to preach this story. And so here we are. We're going to walk through as we look at the life of Joseph in the coming days. As we bring specifically to Genesis 37, I want to bring to light this idea of dreams. Now, we understand. As we get to read this story, knowing the full ending of the story. And if you don't know the story of Joseph, it is a great story. But it's a story where, in fact, these dreams do come true. Where, in fact, Joseph rises to power because of God's favor and sovereignty in his life. And, in fact, Joseph, spoiler alert, will, God will use all of these events in his life to actually bring salvation into and for his family. But it's a story that starts out where there's these ideas and these dreams now, first, I want us to kind of look at the idea of dreams. Have you ever dreamed a dream before? Now, we can use that word in a number of different ways. We've all dreamed maybe like when you fall asleep and have a dream. And you can, you know, in those dreams, you know, you beat Michael Jordan in one-on-one or something really cool. Is that just maybe my dream? I don't know what yours are. But you have these things that happen, and they're just not really reality. And then, then when we talk about dreams, there's dreams that we think about when we think about our future, I aspire to something. We use dreaming in the sense of aspiring. But there's also, when we think about dreams, that kind of combines ideas, especially of the latter. It's the ideas that we, that we aspire to, but it's not necessarily of us, but it's something that God kind of bursts in us. It's something that God gives us. Well, this is what's happening in Joseph. is He has a literal dream that is not something that just came out of his mind, but it was something that God put there. One of the reasons that the text alludes to the fact that this was a dream of God, two ways. One, it's because we have the rest of the text to find out it's true. But two, because it happens twice. There are a number of times dreams happen twice in order throughout Scripture to show that this is not a coincidence. It brings confirmation to the dream. Well, that was the case with Joseph. When we think about our dreams, the dreams that you and I have, Maybe not a dream, it might be, but it may not necessarily be a dream where you fall asleep and you feel like God's given you a dream and a vision of a prophetic idea or a thing for your future. But maybe just be something through confirmation that God's put in your life. Whether it was, and I'm going to use Melissa because we, Melissa, which is up here, whether it was the dream and the call to go to India And that wasn't always a linear journey. That was a journey, but it was a journey that a dream that God gave her, meaning a calling that God had birthed in her. In the same way for me to pastor, maybe for you and what God's called you to do. And maybe it's not necessarily even ministry related, but it's something that God has birthed in you as a dream for your future. How do we handle that? And how do we walk within some of those God visions and God side streams that God's given us in light of even this passage where just in this text, it seems that all goes astray. And maybe you have dreamed a dream that God's given you. And maybe you believe something big for God. And maybe in moments, it didn't quite turn out. And maybe at times, you've lost the trust or the ability to, to, to dream God dreams. And I hope today, by the end of today's sermon, one, that we would grow in our trust of God. But two, might we dare to dream again? And might we learn and see that God places dreams in us to encourage us and give us a picture of what God has for our lives. Three truths that I want us to look at in the life of Joseph as it relates to his dream as we see play out in this text. Truth number one, before the God dreams that he gives us can be fulfilled, God must build us privately before he uses us publicly. God must build us privately before he uses us publicly. When we were reading the first half of Genesis 37, I stopped and I narrated a few parts of the story because I really wanted us to see the, 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 um, the posture of Joseph in this story. He's a 17-year-old arrogant kid who knows he's his dad's favorite. All right, so, so I don't know if brat's the right word to use. Maybe, maybe not. Annoying, definitely. Prideful, absolutely. So imagine a 17-year-old who thinks they know it all and knows they're loved more than all their brothers and then are flaunting it in front of all their brothers constantly. Even when he shows up to check on them, he's wearing the coat of many colors. It's a constant reminder of, I think I'm better than all of you. And there's this problem that takes place. One, we see his brothers, that, that actually kind of leads to where he is. That, that leads to, this, to the problem of his brothers hating him. And in fact, his father even rebukes him. And it leads his brothers to be so mad and so angry at him that they would do something so harmful to him. And, and here's the problem for Joseph. Is that the light that was on Joseph, the focus, the attention was greater than the light that was in Joseph and therefore devastation was ahead of him. Let me say that again but in context for us. If the light on you in your life, the stage if you will, this idea of influence, if the light on you is greater than the light in you, the light in you referring to Christ and his the spirit of God and the characters and the fruits of the spirit, if the light on you is greater than the light in you, then devastation is ahead of you. And this was true for Joseph. And although that this dream was of God, Joseph was not ready for the dream to take place. But God birthed that dream in him and gave him that dream very prophetically, but also to show him the call that was on his life. But the call on his life when he received it did not mean he was ready for it. And so God had to build him privately before he could use him publicly. As if to say that God knew where Joseph was going, and He gave him a dream to show him, but he wasn't ready for it. And in fact, God sovereignly worked even through the rebellion and the hate of his brothers to begin to humble him and mold him for the call that is on his life. I remember being, um, I remember being a young pastor. I started ministry at a young age, and I was so grateful for the influences uh, that were in my life. And because of that, uh, I had some opportunities at a young age. And I had, because of some of those opportunities, I had some people say encouraging things. And I took those encouraging things, and because of youth and because of those words and immaturity, arrogance and pride has a tendency to set in. I remember, and I I wasn't sure if I was going to tell this story, but I'm going to tell this story. It's, I want to tell the story, but I mean, I, did, I was struggling to tell the story just because it, it's, it, confession's not always easy. I remember being 25 years old, and I knew God had called me to pastor. And because I knew God had called me to pastor, and I've been preparing for that since the age of 13. I was 13 years old, when I committed my life to, to be a pastor, and I knew God was preparing me to do that, and I had great men and women who discipled me, and at 25 years old, I was preaching, I was doing things, and I was ready to pastor, and I remember having breakfast, uh, in town in Mississippi with David Jett. Many of you know David Jett. He's my pastor. He's been up here a number of times to serve with us. David Jett in Brandon, Mississippi. And we were having breakfast and I remember t- I was sitting there telling him, hey, I-, I can preach. I can do these things. I'm ready to pastor. I'm ready to pastor. How come God's not allowing me to pastor? Like, like how come that even though I can do these things, why is the opportunity to pastor not coming up? Well, I I want to point out, and here's the confession, the fact that I'm asking that question, period, just speaks to arrogance. It does. It speaks to this, that I am got it going on and I know what I'm doing. And David Jett and his wisdom and his kindness and gave me this loving rebuke of just this idea that God was having to work something in me. That even though that God had given me a calling, that he had to prepare me for that calling. And a large part of what David Jett said very nice to me was, you have the competencies to pastor, but you don't yet have the character because you're a little prideful and arrogant. And I became the pastor of this church three years later, and God had done a lot of work in those three years. But I'll even say, from in the last five or six years, I'm still finally at a point. I was having a breakfast a couple of days ago in Memphis, Tennessee, with Barrett Bowden. Barrett was the speaker at our fall retreat a couple years ago. And he and I were talking because he just passed 10 years in ministry, full-time ministry. I'm at like 12 years. And we were talking and we said, you know what? I feel like we're just now ready. Don't tell our churches. But I feel like we just now kind of have some things figured out. Because there's a season that God has to do to build in us and do a work in us in order to use us publicly. I want to quickly draw your attention to give you another eye of this because we see this in the life of Joseph uh, over 10 plus years do we see God working and hu- uh, bringing humility into Joseph. But I want you to flip quickly to Acts. Another, another person, another character that we know, uh, that many of us know in the scripture is Paul. Paul uh, wrote most a large portion of the New Testament. Paul was a pastor and a preacher. And if you go to Acts chapter 9, you see the conversion of Paul, and we see this moment where Paul gives his life to Christ. And, and in that conversion, God says to Paul that you are going to be a preacher. He gives him a dream. He gives him a calling. This is what you're going to do. Then we go on and read Acts 9 and we read Acts 10 and we read Acts 11. We read Acts 12. And then we get to Acts 13 about 15 to 20 minutes later in our reading. If we were to read it continuously, 15 20 minutes later, we get to Acts 13. And in Acts 13, we see Paul being sent out as a preacher like yeah that's, that makes sense because in acts 9 we heard that he was going to be sent out as a preacher and in acts 13 he's now being sent out as a preacher great but what you and i fail to often recognize is between acts 9 and acts 13 is somewhere between 12 and 18 years 12 and 18 years pastor how do you know that go read galatians 1 and galatians 2 cuz galatians 1 and galatians 2 paul by years maps out his training to get to the point to where he is in his first missionary journey where he goes to Galatia, writes the book of Galatians right afterwards, and he's writing to the church in Galatia. And in that time, depending how we map a couple of events, it's a minimum 12 years, at max 18 years. As if to say that God had a call on Paul's life, but God knew that, hey, before I send this guy out, there's some preparation that needs to take place. And we see this in the life of Joseph. What about you? Have you ever felt and struggled I'll admit, I have, where I feel like God's given me a a vision for something or a dream for something, and when it didn't happen in a year or two years or three years or for me at times in seven years or eight years in ministry, I begin to question the dream or the call that God had given me, and maybe you have too, but maybe when we see that the dream isn't coming to fruition, it's not that the dream isn't true, maybe just God's still preparing you to be that person in which he wants to fulfill that dream. Maybe God is doing something in you privately before he's ready to put you out publicly, which leads me to truth number two, is failure is part of the journey. When we think about the God dreams that he's given us, or maybe the visions that God has given us, one, he's got to do a work in us, and part of that oftentimes is that Through the journey, we don't always have success the way we think. Any of you had a dream maybe to start a business or to pursue this type of career or to do this type of thing, and failure may have come into your life. And we look at that and we go, failure must be a sign that that God's not in this anymore. You know, we're singing the song that all my life God has been faithful, all my life that God has been so, so good. There are moments when dreams seem like failures, and I have failure moments along the journey. I question God's faithfulness, and I question his goodness. But we see from the life of Joseph that failure was a part of the journey. Now, failure in the sense of it wasn't failure because God was still sovereign and he was working, but from Joseph's perspective, being sold into slavery was probably not his idea of success and ruling over his brothers, right? Right? I mean, if I'm him, I'm sitting in, in, in chains in a buggy going to Egypt going, dang. Like, man, this is, I don't, I don't really see how this is going to work out. That must, that dream must not have been from God. I was really dumb to rub that in my brother's faces. Look where it got me. From his perspective, failure was the end of the story. But what if failure is part of the story? What if failure is actually an intentional way that God works in us to humble us? Maybe God works in us to mold us and shape us. What if failure is part of fulfilling truth number one, where God is working in us privately in order to use us publicly? Failure is a part of the journey. And as a leader, a Christian leader once said, we must learn to fail forward. Meaning we must learn to learn from our failures. And even when we don't see and understand, if we believe that God has given us God dreams, then truth number three, if it is a God dream, then it will happen. And if it is a God dream, it's guaranteed to happen. Therefore, if it is a God dream, this failure is just a step forward and not a step backwards. And maybe in this journey, God's still working in me. There's a big difference as we look at the life of Paul in Acts nine, where he describes himself in Galatians one of what he was like in Acts nine. He describes himself in Philippians three gives another description. He says I was basically the best of the best. He said I was perfect. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was surpassing everybody in my own age in becoming a Pharisee and a religious leader. I was the best of the best. Speaking from experience, knowing Christ doesn't immediately change all the arrogance that you've been carrying on to for years. And Paul, even though he came to know Christ in Acts 9, God had to teach him to rely not on his competencies, but to rely on Christ himself and the Spirit. And so God worked in his lives to mold him and shape him so that he could then later write, Of all the sinners, I am the worst. What a different perspective. And as we look at the story of Joseph, when we see Joseph 13 years later from 17 to 30 when he raises, rises to power, we're going to see Joseph a different person. We're going to see a humble Joseph. But I want us to see in Genesis 37, we see an arrogant Joseph that God has given a dream to. But God has to mold Joseph and shape Joseph. He has to mold him privately and build him. So, And he does so often through failures. But... If it is a God dream, then it will happen. It's encouragement to me because a lot of times you have may have heard the saying, we overestimate what we can accomplish in a year, but we underestimate what we can accomplish in five years as if to say that when we look at a year, we don't do all that we want to do. And maybe God's given you a dream to, as I said, to start a business or to pursue this type of gifting or uh, this type of career or whatever it may be where you expect yourself to be in a year in life and you're not there and you begin to feel like a failure. But then when we look back over five years, we are amazed at all that God has done. And in that tendency, in the short term, we, we tend to dream big, And in the short term, when that dream doesn't come to fruition, we begin to lose faith. But what if we understand the truth that if God truly has given the dream, then it doesn't originate in our ability to accomplish it. It originates in God's ability to be faithful. And we just sung that all our days God is faithful. And if that is true, if God is faithful and God has given us the dream, then we should be able to sleep well tonight no matter what happens to know that God will fulfill it. My job is just simply to be faithful to him and walk with him. What does it mean to have a perspective of going, God, Joseph's story, God's going to make me rule over my family. Then you're in chains going, not really sure how God's going to figure this out, but I trust that he's going to. What does it look like to have a perspective of life that says, as I'm in chains, how is God going to fulfill the dream. Because I, I personally believe Joseph probably had lost faith in that dream. And as we often do. But my encouragement to us is, if you feel like God's given you a dream, God's given you a calling, and I tell you what new hope, I believe God's given us a calling to see 1% of Queens in Nassau County come to know Christ. 20 plus thousand people. And when that doesn't happen this year, part of me goes, okay God, but the other part of me goes, but if it's, it's a true vision of God, then I can't stop it. I can't push it forward. I just be faithful. And as we're faithful, I trust that God's gonna do it. Whatever the vision is, whatever the dream that maybe God's placed on your life, and no matter where you are in that journey, might you see that God's working in you as much as he's trying to work through you? Might you see that failure is an opportunity to fail forward and not backwards? And might you just trust That if God's in control, he will see it through. As we think about this story as it relates to Jesus even, this story also reminds me beautifully of Jesus who, just like Joseph, was betrayed by his own. We studied this when we studied John, but I want to read John chapter 1. We memorized uh, this uh, passage of Scripture, John chapter 1. But if you can remember at the beginning of John chapter 1, it says, What this about Jesus? It says in verse 11, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. We see and find out that it's his own, the Jewish people, who betrayed Jesus and sent him away over to the Romans in order to be sacrificed. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Isaiah 53, a text we read at the beginning of service, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. As we continue to study the life of Joseph, you're gonna see that God uses the betrayal of his brothers to send him into captivity so that God could raise him up in order to save his brothers. And in the same way, not only the Jewish people in the first century, but we as the human race, we have betrayed Christ in the sense of that we rebelled against him. But through that betrayal, God has brought Jesus to a place of captivity and of death on the cross. And then he raised him up for the salvation of all mankind. When we look at the story of Joseph, it's an incredible story of God's covenant faithfulness to the people of Israel. But it's Better yet, a picture and a foreshadow of God's covenant faithfulness to you in the person of Jesus. And I encourage you to see that God is faithful to you through the person of Jesus. That when we look at the life of Jesus, we go just like the disciples did when he was arrested. I don't understand. I thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah. I thought Jesus was going to be king. He's been arrested and he has been crucified. I don't get it. But then when he was raised on the third day, they got it. And I pray that you would see that he is your savior and he is your life, that he was betrayed and crucified so that we could have life, so that we could be set free from the bondage and the captivity of our own sin. As we study the life of Joseph, might we learn some truthful character things that can be applied to our life? But might we also see the beautiful picture of Jesus through the life and story of Joseph? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164 2 Goffels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.